Hey everyone, welcome to session 86 of the Behavioral Observations Podcast. I have a really quick intro here. I recorded this episode live, if you will, at the recent Association for Behavior Analysis International Conference, and I'm pleased to be joined by Jonathan Tarbox and Kristen Lancaster. The topic for today is all about work-life balance, something that is sometimes hard to come by in our field. So uh, I want to get you to that episode right away. Uh, we are sponsored today by Go Lotus. And Go Lotus is an intuitive, easy to use, and dare I say, beautiful digital management system. It does everything from practice management to data tracking, uh, scheduling, billing, and more. So it's so simple. Your entire team can be up and running in less than an hour. We'll hear more about them later. But if you are impatient, you can go to golotus.com forward slash register. And there's some uh, discounts, et cetera, that are available by using the promo code MATT. So go check them out at golotus.com. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to really take too much away from the conversation. And let's just kind of get into it. So without any further ado, please welcome Jonathan and Kristen. Welcome to the Behavioral Observations Podcast, stimulating talk for today's behavior analysts. Now, here's your host, Matt Sicoria. Kristen Lancaster and Jonathan Tarbox, thanks for joining me today. Coming uh, at least, it's not released live, but at least we're recording live here at ABAI 2019. If you hear something in the background, that's just the uh, ambient noise that's coming from the Hyatt downtown uh, here in Chicago. So, uh, guys, thanks again for joining me today. Um, we're, so, I'd like to start. Uh, Jonathan, you're very uh, you're a familiar name in the podcast. Your show, I think, has been uh, downloaded. It's the fifth most downloaded show that we've had out of all 85 shows that have been released thus far. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> it has certainly contacted an audience. So, um, uh, so. What I guess I'd like to start with is just uh, what's been happening with you since you came on the show. You know, I know that was a pretty uh, impactful episode talking about ACT and things like that. So what have you been up to since? Sure. Uh, just more of the same, getting the, getting the word out there on ACT, uh, doing trainings. I'm actually producing a lot more data now, which is really exciting. So I've got grad students uh, producing some data and some treatment evaluations and research projects uh, implementing ACT in the context of uh, coaching for fitness and nutrition and uh, parent training and uh, and actually working with kids with autism now using some of the ACT procedures. So that's I'm not going to bore us with that today, but that's sort of the newest developments. Oh, wow. And then the big, big thing is the special issue on diversity and equity that that's coming out in behavior analysis and practice, for which I'm the editor of the journal, but I'm not the editor of the special issue. We got Jennifer Zarconi and Matt Broadhead as the guest editors. That issue is like ridiculous. We got, I think, something like 60 submissions or something, way more we could possibly handle. Uh, so that's going to be published in September. And so that's really, really exciting. We're really proud of that work. We've got amazing uh, selection of submissions from people from all over the place, from all kinds of backgrounds, and it's really cool. Oh, lots of fun stuff going on, for sure. Uh, there's so many follow-up questions I'm tempted to ask, but that's going to take us way off topic. So, uh, Chris, I want to say hello to you. Um, why don't you uh, take a minute to tell us about uh, uh, your background, and uh, you know, we got, we got to dive deep into Jonathan's backstory uh, when he first came on the podcast, uh, so I'd like to extend that to you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into behavior analysis and uh, how that's tying into our topic, which I haven't really even talked about yet, uh, so. Okay, sure. Um, 
I think we're going to be talking a little bit about balance today, and um, or at least the illusion of balance between um, family life and work life, and in my case, school life. Um, so for me, that all started when I had a baby at 17. Um, I graduated from high school, had a child about five weeks later, and then started college five weeks after that. So it's been a process of figuring out how to integrate all of that, um, you know, being a mom, single mom, and um, trying to develop a career and grow up all at the same time. Um, so I ended up working as a nanny, and I worked with a child with autism. He was nine. The mom asked for a nanny and recruited me from a nanny uh, resource, but actually really wanted a para. And I had no idea what autism was at the time. This was about 10 years ago. Um, so this was my first introduction, and I had no idea what to do. I knew how to take care of children, but I didn't know how to um, how to work with him. So it was a learning curve, but also a pretty short experience because I really wasn't um, skilled yet at all and didn't have resources or guidance. Um, but that family really definitely impacted me, and he introduced me to, to kind of the, the world of uh, ABA. Um, in terms of his school, there was a BCBA there, and I remember looking at her um, business card and her credentials and seeing, like, BCBA on there, and it's just like, wow, like, that's amazing. You know, <laughs> like, I'm, that's just so far away from anything I'm going to be able to achieve. And I remember, like, asking her about it, like, how did you get this credential? And she was telling me, like, yeah, it's never going to happen. Um, but I thought it was really cool. Fast forward uh, a few years, and I was in grad school, and um, there was a student in class. It was, it was an online program, but on his discussion board post, he was he really upset a lot of people. <laughs> he was very direct and um, very opinionated on some pretty hot topics. And I was very interested in, in him because he had said he had autism. Um, he was an adult with autism. So I was like, okay. So I kind of connected with him outside of class and developed um, you know, a rapport with him. And he told me he was also pursuing ABA in our school. And I was like, okay, cool. I went on, I did some research, I probably stayed up all night long looking into that, and um, I was pursuing a psychology degree, a master's in psychology degree at the time, and I was like, oh yeah, this is it, like this for sure, I know that this is, it meets all the needs, and I had no idea what I was going to do up to that point, and this was probably a year into that program, and so I applied the next day, and I started my ABA coursework, and yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So what are you doing these days for, for work? So f take us up to the present, mm -hmm. present tense, if you will. Sure, yeah. I work for PBS Corp. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're pretty big uh, nationwide, and now we're in Canada, too. I'm a senior behavior analyst So um, in Central Florida, where I live. I live in Orlando. I spend about half of my time uh, doing supervision for clinical work and uh, working with clients and overseeing cases, pretty standard. Um, and then the other half is supervision of students and mentoring uh, new BCBAs. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So that, that'll probably tie in very well. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess one of the things I was I, uh, thinking about in preparing for this chat here is... Uh, uh, how we came up with this topic in the first place. I think there's been a lot of discussion in the uh, in the Facebook groups and things <laughs> like that, especially in like the Confessions uh, Facebook group uh, and things along those lines. Um, and then, uh, uh, I don't know, the last several weeks have been pretty busy for me, so I, 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 it's hard for me to kind of connect the dots together. <laughs> but I just remember you guys reach out to me, hey, let's sit down for a podcast. So what was, what was the impetus, Jonathan, from your perspective for, for tackling this topic? 
Yeah, well, uh, so it was some Facebook group or thread that I can't remember, but somebody posted a very brave just sort of post about, hey, I don't know how to balance this stuff with work and uh, family life and being a, being a mom, grad school and all this other stuff. And so I chimed in on just sort of shared some of my, because I absolutely share the same struggles. And so I chimed in with some of the strategies that I've come up with, not to, to tell other people to do what I'm doing at all, but just to kind of share what's worked for me. Um, and so then Kristen said, gee, you should really write a paper about this. And then I said, gee, you and I should really do a podcast. Let's talk to Matt. Let's see if we can get him to bring that's us right. on. And so that's that's where that came from. All right. All right. It's coming back to me now. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, it, yeah, it's been a topic we've touched on a little bit on the show here and there. Um, and a couple of years ago, New Hampshire ABBA, uh, I participated in a, in a panel, did a brief presentation uh, on, you know, what we were calling self-care. Um, and uh, one of the things that influenced my thinking about that was in uh, one of the uh, one of the Pat Fryman episodes I think it was uh, session 16 um, I've got the quote pulled up here I don't want to do it from memory because it's so Pat Fryman worthy but he said something like uh, you know uh, uh, behavior analysts get depressed behavior analysts get divorced behavior analysts get anxious behavior analysts have trouble with their kids they have trouble with their marriages and the funny thing is, this is me, not Pat, saying, you know, but, and then he goes on to say, uh, and, and what they encounter, when they encounter real trouble in any of those domains, they don't go to behavior analysts for help. Uh, and, and so I always, I always love that quote, and, and more so the first part of it than the second part of it, um, in terms of uh, just recognizing that, you know, the everyday problems that people encounter, we encounter it too. Uh, you know, when I'm talking to lay people and, about behavior analysis, they must they, they say sometimes, well, your kids must be the perfectly behaved, most perfectly behaved kids in the world. I'm like, uh, not exactly, you know. They, they I, I'm I'm very happy with where they are, but the, the, do they have difficulties uh, from now and again? Do they argue? Do they do they bicker? Do they do you know stupid things that kids do that we all did? Absolutely. So being a behavior analyst does not uh, inoculate oneself uh, oneself from uh, life's difficulties for sure. So. Um, so having said that, uh, I, I, uh, one of the, you know, getting back to the term self-care, um, uh, the, the term itself does kind of bother me. I, I, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Um, you know, because when I, when I see people talking about self-care, particularly in the Facebook groups, there's always some sort of like uh, pictures or memes or things like that attached to it. Of, uh, and so like the, the, the I guess, pop culture notion of self-care is, you know, going to a spa or getting a massage or, you know, ha having a glass of wine or, or several or whatever it is, you know, and, uh, you know, when you really look at those, look at self-care from that ex aspect, it, that seems more like experiential avoidance than anything else. So, do, so self, the term self-care has been kind of a trigger word and it's, uh, uh, I didn't really know that until my colleague Jen Ferris pointed that out to me. Uh, and so now every time I see it, I'm like, ah, self-care, no, you know, so, um, but uh, wh wh what do you guys think about that when you guys see people talking about these sorts of things? Uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, as far as the notion of self-care and what we see on social media, uh, I think it can be a little bit skewed and it does look a lot like experiential avoidance. Um, self-care for me isn't a glass of wine and um, it isn't a bubble bath and <laughs> sometimes it's a massage. I do, yeah, sometimes it includes that. But it's a lot more about um, 
looking at all of my needs as a person and I try to see that through the eyes, um, my eyes as a mother. So how do, when I look at my children, what are their needs um, and how do I care for them? Their medical needs, their, um, their educational needs, their emotional needs, everything. Um, and then looking at myself through those same lenses of what do I need um, in order to be my most whole and complete self. That was the perfect answer. I have nothing to add. All right. No, um, no, but actually <laughs> said Jonathan never. No, no I, I do. No, I, I do want uh, to to echo what Kristen said, and it's funny because you basically, without saying these same words, you're talking about perspective taking. That you look at yourself in a similar way that you look at other people whom you love, right? If you're doing a good job at self care, right? So, like, how would you take care of your daughter or your sister or your mother? Uh, you wouldn't just work them to death and never give them a break. You would never. You wouldn't just expect them to get the job done and not have feelings about it, right? You would do what it takes to take care of them and nurture them. Um, and sometimes that might involve a glass of wine or a bubble bath or spa or something. But that's like by no means. You don't just give someone edible, re you know, primary reinforcers for free and just hope that that fixes everything, right? Um, so yeah. So. And this ties in directly to the workforce and what we do. Uh, oftentimes, I guess it's a privilege and a challenge. You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, we're we're privileged to work with these individuals with uh, in, in these vulnerable populations. At the same time, it's very, very challenging. You know, um, and it can be emotionally draining depending on what the circumstances are. You know, I think we've all worked with difficult cases, and uh, you know, it certainly can take a toll. Um, Certainly the demand for services, the demand to provide those services and to keep up with billable hours and things like that also, you know, uh, creates a lot of stress. One of the things that, getting back to the talk we did at the New Hampshire ABBA conference a few years ago, uh, we did this survey of behavior analysts in New Hampshire and it was cosmically unscientific. So don't draw any, you know, hard conclusions from it. But, uh, you know, one of the... Whoa, findings that jumped out at me as I was looking at the data is there was something like 50% of the respondents said that their work had adversely affected their life in one way, shape, or form, uh, whether that's, you know, through, uh, you know, self-reported anxiety or depression or what have you. And so, uh, you know, that, that does create problems as we're trying to provide these services. Uh, and obviously, uh, I'd like to get your perspectives on how that affects, you know, the, I, you know, the way I see it, 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 it takes a toll in multiple uh, strands, you know, there's a toll on the workforce, there's a toll for the perhaps the individuals we're providing services to, and the field as, as a whole. You know, we're this new field, we want to make sure that we are able to keep doing what we're doing, you know, but if, uh, uh, if everyone's getting burnt out in the process of providing these services, we're not gonna, we're not gonna thrive as, as an occupational field, so. Um, how do you guys see this impacting folks? Gee, uh, there's, uh, yeah, so much there, right? I don't even know where to start. But I mean, I guess I would say one thing is, um, yeah, burnout is a huge problem. We've got this situation where we get into the entry-level job of therapist or technician or whatever, uh, super enthusiastic, hardworking, 
and we kind of enter this myth of we have to work unreasonably hard. I mean, I think that's sort of a cultural belief that we have within our field, at least everywhere that I've ever worked, that it's kind of normal and honorable to overwork yourself. Um, and that that's kind of a status symbol, is being burnt out, sleep deprived, tired, stressed out, and that almost makes you kind of cool as a behavior analyst if you try to do too much. Yeah, and I think that's true in many, many occupations as well, yeah. you know. Social and, work, uh, nursing, sure, yeah, sure, like cops, I, firefighters. Yeah, uh, and, um, you know, even uh, even in, like, the training of doctors, you know, the, the legendary totally. rotations that, that, that you know, it, have, have been historically, at, you know, uh, thrust upon them in medical school where, uh, you know, there's one podcast I listen to and the guy talks about his med school and like how he would just go for such a long time without sleep. Uh, and there's obviously so much more information coming out about how sleep deprivation negatively impacts people both in the short and long term on all sorts of levels. So, um, yeah, so I guess one of the things... Um, I'm curious about from from both you guys, and both guys can take this uh, in any direction you want. But um, what what are what are the ways that you're seeing organizations tackle this, or perhaps not tackle it? Uh, you know, um, you guys are out there, uh, you know, working with staff, doing lots of cool stuff. Um, uh, so so um, whether or not you see a well thought out intervention. To, to either prevent or respond to this sort of thing, uh, what what are you seeing out there in the in your daily work as far as um, uh, uh, staff members uh, being over? Either, I don't want to say overworked, but stressed out. Now, I don't want to say overworked like companies are being you know um, unethical in terms of the, the the pressures that they're putting on people, but more you know it could be from a combination of sources whether the thing the things that we talked about, some of the interpersonal difficulties we talked about a few minutes ago or what have you. Are you ready to make the leap from pen and paper into the digital world? Or are you frustrated by your current system? Well, I recommend you go check out Go Lotus. Go Lotus was created by a product development expert who spent years building systems for Apple and Microsoft before her child was diagnosed with autism. But creating Go Lotus, she had one mission in mind, create a platform that could help therapists better treat their kiddos by providing a tool that allows them to focus on the actual work and not the paperwork. Go Lotus is an intuitive, easy to use, and dare I say beautiful system. It handles every aspect of practice management from data tracking and automatic soap notes to scheduling and billing. It's so simple your entire team can be up and running in less than an hour. For more information, go to golotus.com forward slash register. And by using the promo code MATT, the first 100 people will receive 90 days of our data trackers completely free. And by signing up, you'll then receive an additional 25% off the first 12 months. So again, for more information, head on over to golotus.com forward slash register. Yeah, that's kind of tough. Um to answer because I don't think that I know of any company that addresses this very well. Um, I have PBS is a fantastic company, a wonderful company to work for as far as focusing on quality of work life um, and really valuing the employees and every single person in the organization. So I can't say that they're necessarily not addressing it, but I don't think that it addresses some of the more personal issues that show up whenever you're 
overworked and your the contingencies for working more are in place um, and I and I do agree with you about the status symbol it's something I've become very aware of I hear a lot um, I get a lot of personal feedback says I don't know how you do it and oh you're such a superwoman you just want to be super and I'm like no actually I really don't and I'm really upset that like this is the persona that I'm putting out there so I've tried to modify my online behavior a little bit to be um, to model what I what I would actually like to get out there, which is to try um, to keep things quote unquote balanced. Um, that doesn't mean I have it all because I don't um, at all. But as a supervisor, I can say that I definitely do push it with my um, students and BCBAs and BCABAs that I work with push them not to take on more than they can handle. We always have that conversation. Um, giving them the leeway to say, if this isn't working for you, you do not have to stay in it. Like you have options. Um, because I have found, I've been in situations where I've had analysts want to leave the field completely because they were, they were working with a client that they were getting hurt with and they didn't think that they had an out, so they were gonna just out the whole field. Um, and I think that, that that happens. It's a tough field. It's emotionally and physically draining. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, we definitely don't want to see people exiting the field uh, it, it, uh, not of their own choosing, you know, so. So one thing, I mean, I, I also, like Kristen, have never seen any uh, place of employment get this all figured out perfectly, by no means. Uh, one thing that seems like uh, organizations try to do is like a retreat once a year, and that's kind of helpful. It's team building, it's morale building and stuff. But I don't think it could possibly be a real solution. If I mean, we know nothing works if you do it once a year, right? right. For in any aspect of human behavior. Um, so unless there's some, some actual uh, uh, intervention in the culture of the organization that's happening there and then carried forward through some kind of maintenance work or something like that, um, I don't think that the once a year let's all get together and have wine thing is a real solution. I think it's great. Believe me, invite me. I want to go to that. But like, I don't think that's a solution. Um, but what I have seen start to work uh, more and more is uh, people implementing small pieces of ACT for staff and ACT for organizational culture interventions, just a little bit here and there. Uh, for example, every organization has staff meetings, right? Where you get your staff together and you talk. And let's face it, most of the meeting is boring, like admin stuff that no one really appreciates. Uh, but if, you know, and you try to do some clinical tidbit of here's how we could do stuff better clinically, and that's what people really care about. Um, and so what we've tried to do at First Steps is just do a teeny little bit of something based on ACT, usually incorporating values. Even if it's five minutes or ten minutes to open or close the meeting can have a really, really powerful effect. And if you do that on a regular basis, then it actually affects the culture overall. And I think that it can carry forward. Um, so for example, one that uh, my wife, Courtney Tarbox, uh, made up was really cool. She said, uh, she asked all the staff to uh, think about the first client that they worked with that they really made a difference for and like imagine that kid. And now imagine, fast forward, uh, that kid's high school graduation. And maybe they're a best outcome kid, indistinguishable from peers, or maybe they're still severely affected, but they've made huge progress. And now they have a communication system that works and they don't have as much problem behavior. And they're walking across the stage getting the diploma, right? Just imagine that. And then here's the cool part. She said, and here's this for me. And she showed the next slide was pictures from her first client that she worked with and then picture from his high school graduation, right? Are you, right? Me too. I'm getting goosebumps right now too. Um, and like there wasn't a dry eye in the house, you know? And like all the staff are like, holy shit, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. This is why I sit in traffic, right? right. This is why I feel this stressed out. It's not for the paycheck and it's not to follow the rules. It's to connect with that level of meaning and purpose in my life. Um, so that 
I mean, look, five minutes, ten minutes, and it transforms. So I think there's stuff that people can do. I think it's it doesn't take a huge investment. It doesn't require a ton of money or total restructure of the whole organization. Well, I'm left a little speechless after that example. That was pretty. That was pretty moving. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is 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 what 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 are ways that, what are some ways that we can kind of um, survey uh, uh, staff members to kind of see what what what's going on. I know there's a couple of things out there like the the Maslach burnout inventory. Uh, I I think there's probably like. Um, isn't there uh, like the workforce AAQ or something like that in the uh, in the ACT world? I, I think that's. I would think so, but I actually don't know. I'm not yeah. sure. We have to ask DJ Moran about that, or, or Frank Bond, or one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So that that might be something too to kind of take the organizational temperature of, of what's going on in a particular company. So, um, but but certainly uh, interspersing those types of activities seems seems. Uh, you know, seems like it had a, a profound impact, at least in, with regard to uh, that example. Um, so, you know, I think what we're doing is kind of dancing between kind of big picture organizational stuff and then personal uh, strategies that we use. So let's, let's kind of like dial in the focus on, on, on the latter here. Uh, so, um, Jonathan, you have the microphones, so I'll just ask you to take this first. So um, what, what are some of the, what are some of the boundaries that you, uh, enforce right now, um, and, and and if you can recall, also when you actually created those rules, or if there was a particular event or anything like that, that that said, ah, I need to do this, or I need to create this, uh, uh, you know, a boundary or limitation or what have you, or something like that. So yeah. if, you, if you're comfortable sharing some of some some of those, sure. that would be great. Yeah, sure. And I guess like the first thing that comes up for me when sharing advice is. Uh, immediately because of how our culture has raised us to compare ourselves to other people and to judge ourselves and others immediately as soon as I say something everyone listening says well he's implying that I should do that or he's better and I'm worse or I'm better and he's worse or that makes me bad and that make you know what I mean all of that verbal Phrase, behavior yeah. yeah all that re uh, deictic relational framing that's not helpful uh, so I just want to preface this by saying like, I'm not saying this is appropriate for anyone else and I definitely don't have it figured out at all this is the end of one experiment and I'm very much a work in progress okay um, but Dis disclaimers, um, disclaimers yeah, are made. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, yeah. So just, but you know, this case study. I'm a case study in overachieving, trying too hard, doing too much, always saying yes. And the thing is, like, it worked. That's the problem, right? So I was engaging in a behavior that I think was kind of a problem behavior, and it worked professionally. Like, I got all these opportunities, and it's it's awesome, and it's really cool, and I have nothing to complain about, right? And honestly, like, when I'm evaluating my own life right now, that that's not right. Like, I'm not. I'm not happy with it, you know? Like, I, I want more balance. No, I'm not gonna say it like that. I wanna spend more time with my kids and maybe a personal hobby here or there, right? I don't wanna spend less time working. <laughs> it's just that simple for me. So, uh, you know, I really started to come to terms with this over the last couple of years. I don't remember exactly when. Um, and so, yeah, I set some boundaries. One boundary was uh, one uh, travel uh, trip per month and I'm just not gonna be away from my kids more than that. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old daughter. My 15-year-old's fine, he wants me to go at this point. But my seven-year-old and my four-year-old daughter, uh, 
I, the day before yesterday, my seven-year-old said, I want you to stop going to conferences. Can you just not go to any anymore at all? And right, breaks my heart, right? And I said, well, no, actually, it's my job. I have to. And this one is the longest one of the year. It's four or five nights, and it's the most important one of the year. It's my job. I'm going to go. I have to go. Um, and I will say no to more other conferences that are optional. Um, so the one per month thing is, is a deal. One international trip per year, because just international trips just involve more time. It ends up being a week, even if it's not a week, you know? You burn a day either um, way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, I feel pretty good about those. Even that feels like a little much. I may, maybe I'd rather do like 10 per year instead of 12, I don't know, in terms of travel for work. Um, and then the biggest, most important one is if my kids are awake, my laptop is shut. And there's absolutely no compromise for me on that. And it's actually kind of rigid, right? It's not very flexible. Kids are awake, laptop is shut. Um, kids are awake, I am not looking at my phone. Like I will not look, my kids will not grow up remembering daddy looking at his phone. It's just not gonna happen. If I need to order a pizza, I pick it up and I order a pizza and then I put the damn thing down, period. And again, I'm not saying other people need to do this. It's kind of extreme. Um, and the other thing is, there's no screen time for my kids during, uh, during um, uh, the work week. Monday, Monday through Thursday, they, they don't look at screens, ever. It just doesn't happen. I mean, my 15-year-old has to for homework. But my 4-year-old and 7-year-old, there are no screens that they, that they see. Um, and it's, again, kind of extreme, but it's transformed our life, I think, as a family. And it's totally worth it. Um, so those are the main things that I've done. I do try to stick to them pretty uh, rigidly. And I think like that's a gift that I'm giving myself. Oh yeah, one other thing. So this is, I think, a good strategy is uh, I'm, I'm collecting opportunities that would have been good for my career that I choose to turn down. So I have a list on my uh, OneDrive, and it's a word, a bulleted Word document. And every time I say no to something because I want to spend that time with my family, I add it to the list. And I check that list every now and then, and it's something I'm really proud of. And it's like one of my favorite behaviors now is adding to that list. So it's like your own permanent product. Exactly, yeah. So I'm transforming the function of like fearing screwing things up and losing opportunities in my career, which is like obviously super aversive, right? Transforming the function to something kind of awesome. Like I kind of want to ruin my career in the name of saving my family or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not that extreme. I mean, that's like crazy, right? But, but it's basically that same idea. Like I'm willing to give up important stuff for my career to spend more time with my kids. It's just so worth it. Wow. Well, I get the travel piece. You know, I, I don't travel nearly as much as, as you do, but uh, I had definitely some big-time mixed emotions leaving for this conference. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially where we are in New Hampshire, you know, it's like the, the opportunity, to, the weather's starting to get nice finally. And, uh, you know, to spend some, you know, time, especially outdoors and doing fun stuff with the kids and things like that, it's... it's uh, that, that, this was a hard one to go on, and at the same time, I was really psyched because I knew we we're gonna, you know, do this, and there's all this other fun stuff, and going to Ob was just fun in general, uh, and as well as uh, intellectually stimulating and all that stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, coming here was was uh, you know uh, uh, felt like I was being pulled in two two different directions, uh, you know. So uh, I totally get that. The, the screen time, I'm kind of like, I, I try to imagine how that would work in my household, and uh, I, I'm not sure. I think my my, my kids would probably probably call child protective services on us or something like that but uh you know i i, I certainly applaud you for uh for for boldly setting those limits well and it's easier when you start young we started that rule when our daughters were three and six and we already were pretty minimal on screen time but then when we started the zero screen time monday through thursday that it 
yeah, I mean, it, it hurt a little bit at first. And I think we even said that, like, it's okay if this is a little bit frustrating. Like, that's part of this, you know. Let's see what else we can do while we feel frustrated. Just as an aside, do you get the, well, other kids, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Do, do, they, do they come at you with that? or are they? Absolutely, they- yeah. And this is what I say. It's like, yeah, other families make other choices. And the thing is, is like, you know how you're not allowed to eat as many cookies as you want because it's junk food and it's poison for you if you eat too much? Same thing with the screens. Like the iPad and the TV, it's poison if you look at it too much. It's bad for your brain. Um, it's great if you have a little bit. It's spice. It's awesome. It makes life better if you do a reasonable amount. But just like junk food, we're not going to let you eat cookies all day. We're also not going to let you watch screens all day either. Awesome. All right, Kristen. Do you have these? Uh, do you have a set of rigid rules like Jonathan does that uh, you adhere to uh, come hell or high water? I'm going to give you a very different perspective <laughs> because I'm, I'm totally kidding, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, no, I do not have rigid rules simply because I I really can't. Um, given that I'm in a PhD program and my schedule, I have a a client schedule where I have to go out and see clients at all different times of the week and um, actually my motto or if you, if I have one would be more like holding it lightly staying flexible knowing what my knowing what's most important to me and being very connected with my values and I have to thank Jonathan Tarbox for this because uh, I went to the ACT bootcamp for behavior analysts in Baltimore last year and it was absolutely life-changing nice. um, and Jonathan was a big part of that uh, and he talked about this stuff too there about family and, and figuring it all out as far as your values and all of that goes. So I've done a lot of values exploration since then. And I look at it a little bit more like um, in this moment, you know, like right now I'm choosing to do this with you guys um, because this is really important to me and uh, for many, many, many different reasons. And I'm choosing not to be with my children right now. I'm here and recognizing that like in this moment, that is my choice and I'm sacrificing that time. Um, that's, this is a bigger deal, but that also happens on very, very small levels too, where do I have my phone? And at this very moment, do I, is Facebook more important than, than talking to my child while I'm taking him to school? You know, no, it's not. So I put it away. So being uh, present, <laughs> being present, that's, that's what I've worked on the most. And that's what's made the biggest difference. And then also being flexible too with my own expectations. I can be a bit of a perfectionist. Um, so being okay with saying, you know, I'm not going to, I might not be able to do my very best on this paper. I might have to turn this other project at work down because I don't have the time. And that's okay. If I get a B, I got a B. It doesn't matter. Um, because there are other things that matter more than that. Um, and so, yeah, so sleep, you know, make sure I get the sleep. I make sure my kids get the sleep. We have family time. We use the little uh, screen time settings on the iPhones. It's, everybody's on the same page, and it shuts down at a certain time. And um, But it's hard, and I get a lot of uh, flack from my little one. I have an 8-year-old, and he will say things like, um, you know, don't go to work. Mommy, do you have to work today? Oh, today's Sunday, so you don't have to work today? You know, I hear things like that, and it's it's tough. It's so tough because the guilt is, is real. Um, but in the end, you know, I, I hope that my kids will see that they can achieve anything that they want to and that, that that is also so important, you know, and that Mommy will spend time with them too. Awesome, awesome. So thanks for both of you guys sharing this stuff that's obviously personal and... Uh, I think they're good examples of things that go beyond, again, the, uh, the massages and the bubble baths and the uh, uh, things along those lines. Um, uh, so one of the things, um, I, I, I want to get back to you know, the, the, 
the practitioner who might be in a, in a, in a difficult work setting, you know, one of the things I, I looked at when I started looking into um, this stuff was a, uh, there was a paper that, uh, it was a book chapter actually by uh, Hayes and like 15 other author, authors, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes to this episode. Um, but uh, I believe they did a, uh, they, they were describing a, a stress management intervention that they did. Um, this is going back like 15 years, I think. Um, and, and one of the interesting metaphors that they used was stress was like the water coming out of a tap, right? Uh, and, and that oftentimes, especially with stress that's externally, uh, I guess, uh, the, the source of it is external, is we don't necessarily have an opportunity to control the, the rate in which the water is coming out of the tap. Uh, but you might be able to do something about how fast that the sink empties, you know, how you process that. And it was a pretty interesting metaphor. And, you know, of course, they went on to uh, go through, a, 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 you know, I guess what you would consider, you know, your standard kind of act, you know, intervention where people, are, you know, identify their values, you know, talk about committed actions, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, for, for the, the, I guess, worker who is who's not particularly psyched about what's going on, you know, I, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is what your thoughts might be in terms of... Uh, how much, how do you balance accepting your current circumstances and then, you know, perhaps digging deep to find the value in doing something that may not necessarily be optimal, you know? And, and what, you know, I spent a lot of time in public schools, an extraordinarily difficult place to, to do work to, and to do good work. Um, and, and, and the attrition rate of teachers is pretty high. Uh, I mean, there's lots of literature that, that uh, has come to that conclusion, you know. Uh, but that's a it's a necessary occupation, you know. And so one of the things I struggle with is that you know if someone's working in a challenging environment, you know, how do they balance like, you know, do I accept this and do I use these skills to persevere here in service of my values, or do I cut bait, you know? Do you have any thoughts, like, a, you know, if someone's driving around their car listening to this and they're, they're struggling with that, how they might go about figuring that out? Because there are going to be some times where you absolutely have to get out of a situation, right? And there are going to be some times where, you know, you, you, it might be better off to, to, to think through the ramifications, to think through what might be, you know, uh, uh, something that, you know, you know, how you can maybe uh, uh, find meaning in a, in a situation that, that is, you know, on the surface, not super reinforcing. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, Russ Harris has so many materials, and I was recently reading something that he had released, and it talked about how to make tough decisions, which is kind of what I hear you proposing. That's exa- a hypothetical yeah, yeah. situation. You're not happy with work or something. Yes, you just took my like five-minute question <laughs> and boiled it down to its essence. So I, I think the listener is probably very thankful for that. So one of the things that he says, he's got a whole script and it's beautiful. Um, I won't go through all like 12 steps. But one of them that really stood out to me was recognizing that you have a choice always. So... Um, if today I'm not happy at work, but I'm choosing to stay in this job, then I have a decision to make today about what that's going to look like 
for me and for my clients. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of knowing your options. I usually have a backup plan pretty much all areas of life because I've learned. Um, so I, I definitely don't think that anybody should just like tolerate and like I, I'm miserable here and I'm not being effective and I'm not happy and my, you know, my self-care and my mental health is all suffering and I'm just doing it anyway. Um, not a fan of that. Like explore your options and see what else is out there. You might stumble on a great opportunity. Um, but also recognize that right now you're in this moment and you have a choice of how you're going to respond to it right here in this moment. Yeah, I, I love that. And I was, that's, yeah, perfect segue into what I was going to say was, Wherever we're at right now in this moment, we always have an option to contact our values, no matter how difficult the situation is. Even if you're going to quit, let's say you're working at the worst ABA agency in the universe, and today's quitting day, right? Even today, you have the opportunity to act in accordance with what you, who you really want to be while you quit. You know what I mean? I mean, even if you are hurting someone, the worst case scenario, even under those circumstances, you have the option to act in accordance with what you really care about and who you really want to be in that moment. Um, and that's the, the worst imaginable scenario. So our day-to-day -day just sort of grind where we're stressed out, like right then, we have choices. I love that. I didn't know, I, didn't, I needed to read that Russ Harris thing. That's cool. Um, and then the other thing is there's always present moment stuff too. Like, I don't know, what, what I've learned from the ACT work is there kind of is always something interesting and cool happening, even when you're bored. Like if you like hold your judgments of boredom lightly and then look around and just open up a little bit, you'll notice stuff you didn't notice before. And the same thing is true with feeling frustrated. The same thing is true with feeling angry. The same thing is true with feeling tired, you know. Um, I mean, I've had, this last semester was probably the hardest semester of my work life. And there were many times at which I said, I can't do it. I got to stop, you know. And then in that moment, I looked around and said, well, I wonder what it would be like to keep working while I was having the thought that I can't do it. I have to stop. And I'm just curious about that. What would that be like? Maybe that would be the hardest piece of work I ever did. Let's try it for the next 10 minutes. You know what I mean? So just <laughs> kind of trying to contact the moment for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, good stuff. Um, so I think we, we hit most of the points that we wanted to cover. Uh, any, anything else that uh, came up uh, in this topic that we didn't get to in this conversation? Well, I or do want to just, yeah, one thing I want to say is uh, I want to give everyone who's listening permission to not feel like you need to overachieve and do it all. You just don't need to do that. You need to do what you really care about in life. That's what you need to do. And if that means just being a kick-ass clinician and not having any name recognition or publications or any of this other nonsense, that's awesome. You're like changing lives and it's really meaningful and really, really important. If that means spending more time with your family and or, or being a stay-at-home parent, incredible, awesome. Like that's really, really valuable and kind of like what most overachievers kind of wish they had done. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of like, what's that? Have you heard that story? Like the little fisherman in the yes. village somewhere, he has a couple boats. Oh, come on, you could really expand. You could buy all these other boats. You could do this, you could do that. You could make millions of dollars. And the fisherman says, okay, cool. Well, what would I do after all that? And the answer is, well, you just have a couple boats and you'd hang out and you'd spend some time with your family. Oh, right, <laughs> back to what? So, I don't know. I just want to say like, that's what I've learned is, yeah. and. I hope that people really take that to heart and don't just think that's kind of tried or something, but like no, no, I, pick, no, pick I a couple things that you really love and do them well and spend time on them and nurture them and take care of them, you know, whether that's family, hobbies, work, 
your clients, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one says on their deathbed, "I wish I spent more time at the office." Right. I love that fisherman story too. I'll try to run down a link to that and put that in the show notes as well. It, the, 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 yeah, yeah. So, Kristen. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. Um, so my advice would be, and this is really coming from more recent experience, that my 16-year-old has gone through some really tough things in the last couple of years, and it's been um, it's been a journey of growth, and it's been a journey of turmoil, and it's been a journey of love. Um, and part of that experience for me, given all of the different things going on, it definitely was a values like clarification micro focusing on what actually matters that happened throughout the experience um, with him but also learning that I have a pretty significant community that I didn't realize that I had before and not and and learning how to accept that help and how to ask for help that's really hard when you've been doing so much on your own you're like you know you fused with this idea that you're a strong independent woman um, and now you are in a situation where you really need your friends and you need your family and um, so being willing to open yourself up to that if anybody else is like me and kind of struggles with that um, that's been hugely impactful for me Awesome. Yeah, I want to echo that too. Community. Like we're all these like mammals running around like not helping each other. What the hell are we doing? We're supposed to, like primates are supposed to be hanging out in groups helping each other, right? Like <laughs> what are we doing, you know? That's one of the reasons why I appreciate your podcast is like you're connecting behavior analysts, you know, while they're driving around by themselves in the yep. car. Yeah. On some level, they're connecting with other behavior analysts on things that matter, which I think we could do more of that. Like be the nerd that reaches out, be vulnerable, like be the one that says, hey, you want to hang out? You want to get a cup of coffee? Let's get some lunch or starts a Facebook group or whatever it is. Connecting. I think it's just so important, so much more important than 99% of what we spend our time on. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, that's a great place to wrap this up. Thanks so much for asking me to do this. I'm so glad we got a chance to sit down and record this. Cheers. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jonathan, for inviting me to do this. And I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Behavioral Observations Podcast with Matt Sicoria. You can find Matt's notes on this episode at www.behavioralobservations.com. We also invite you to stay connected with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash behavioral observations and on Twitter at Behavior Podcast.